Welcome to the Lifeline, a production of Simply BJE Incorporated. The goal of this podcast is to build, to inspire, and to empower our audience through conversations on business, leadership, and mental health. We invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at simplybje.com forward slash the lifeline. Now, let's tune in for today's episode. Top of the day, everyone. I trust that you are well, and thank you for joining us for this episode of The Lifeline. We're your host, financial coach and business coach, Bo Powell, and yours truly, leadership coach and mental health advocate, Barry J. Elliott, also known as BJE. Our goal is to build, to inspire, and to empower our listeners through conversations around the topics of business, leadership, and mental health. You can visit us at www.simplybje.com forward slash The Lifeline, and on social media, and on Facebook, uh, and Instagram. Today, once again, we have our very special guest, Mr. Javier David, a great thinker who is currently the managing editor for business and markets at Axios. And so once again, Javier, thank you for joining us. So we're going to dive right into our conversation. But how are you? First of all, how are you doing today? I am doing quite well. I'm currently in South Florida and the weather here is very nice, uh, very pleasant, not humid, not cold. So um, I'm getting the best of all worlds. Okay, you're normally based out of New York, so you're getting away from the cold. Getting away from the cold. For I'm, 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 My mother has turned me into a snowbird, so I come down to visit her. <laughs> um, and it just so happens I'm spending more of my holidays here than I used to. So um, I, I've, I've become that person. I've become that guy, the one that like runs away uh, every Christmas and New Year's to come to the warmer climes of wherever. So you've been there since before Christmas. Yeah, I have been here. I got here about a week or so before Christmas. And I um and I'm now it's for January eighth, January 9th. Uh I don't go back home until next week. So I'll be nice, nice little nice little uh working vacation, as they say. Boy, it must be nice. Yeah. Man. It is. <laughs> must be Super nice, nice. <laughs> but yeah it is nice okay all right that's how the big timers do you know i'm not that's hating the, I, I i celebrate the work from home that's the work from home uh there you go work thing uh, you know you, you call us digital nomads you can go from place to place that's true I mean, yeah. any place that basically has wi-fi is your office yeah. um that's the local starbucks that's your mother's house uh that could be you know the restaurant that has wi-fi um, I've worked in a bunch of different places, but, you know, I think that's also, um, it's, it's, it's a privilege to have it, but it also like, you know, I, I talk a lot about thinking about the ramifications of all the things that we do. So a lot of us that work remotely, it, it is a privilege, but it also has like spillover effects. Absolutely. So, so mm-hmm. today we're going to talk about consumer debt, but I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you a question because I was listening to a report the other day and they were talking about how many empty buildings there are now because so many people are working from home. So how do you think that impacts the economy? Oh, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, so what we have had, what we've seen basically since um, the COVID era began in 2020 is a lot of those of us in white collar professions, um, our employers said, you know, here's your laptop, go work from home, here are a couple of tools that you need. Um, the emergency phase of COVID ended, and as a result of that lockdown period, those of us that were working remotely developed new habits. Some moved away to different cities, some stayed, but, you know, um, they have families that they want to take care of, children of a certain age that you want to mind and you want to be there for, um, need a little bit more, you know, of a gentle touch, so to speak. So, 
you know, child rearing is the most important job there is. Like when you were a parent, that is your single most important, the biggest job you will ever have. Um, and as a result of all of that, like I say that to say that most of the people that stayed home wanted to continue to work from home because they were, A, they were still productive. Uh, but B, um, you found that you could, you know, marry the work-life balance. We talked a lot of, we talk about work-life balance even before COVID. True. Uh, but that conversation became a lot more um, acute after the lockdown phase when people found that they could work from home and still be productive and their employers and not miss a paycheck um, and quite the opposite. So continue to gain, get money, get raises, get promotions. Um, and, uh, you know, they were, as a result, employers wanted people to come back to the office because there are certain things that you need to do in person and are just best done when everyone's sitting in the same space around the same table, the free flowing exchange of ideas. But the big, I guess, economic portion of that or the economic repercussion is employers pay a lot of money for office space. Um, sure. not just the desk, it's like certain perks to make employer employees feel comfortable there, uh, snacks and on-site things. Uh, but it's a big overhead cost on every company's balance sheet. So what you have now is a situation where a lot of workers and employers have had to come to a detente of sorts, which is the workers were saying, I'm not coming back. I don't want to come back. It's not really COVID anymore. Um, because we've moved into the phase of endemicity. It's COVID is endemic. It's not going anywhere. Um, but it's not sending people to the hospital. It's not the risk that it was in 2020. Um, and that's a whole other discussion. But the end of the story, but what's all oh, I say that to say that like people are not in their houses or working remotely because they're necessarily afraid of COVID because they're getting out within their office, within where they have made their homes, um, you're going out to eat, you're going out to the movies, people are still resume, have resumed life. The one thing that they have not done is come back en masse to the office. Um, and this is now a big sort of black hole on the balance sheets of a lot of large employers that pay money, good money, to have this office space. So um, now we're, 2024 is actually going to be a really big test because a lot of companies have taken out debt. Um, there's a lot of commercial space that's going unused. Um, and so they're going to have to make a decision about what to do with that. Like, you know, there's a lot of, like I said, debt. People have taken out bonds. They financed things in order to finance the money, to get the money that they need to finance office space. Um, some of that is coming due this year in 2024. Um, and people, uh, employers rather, have to make the decision about whether it's feasible to keep some of these uh, offices open. And many of them have decided they're just going to close up space and not do um, the commercial offices space. They, they have these plans to do big, giant buildings. And and what if you look in a lot of downtown centers in big cities where there used to be a lot of workers, those are dead. They're desolate. Like a lot of the business down there are like are on their last legs because they relied on people that used to come in and come out and go out to lunch and run their errands and all of that contributed. That was the life's blood of that, those particular centers. And now a lot of downtowns are hollowing out because there's just not a lot of people there anymore. They're they're all working from home and they're working in the suburbs. 
all the economic activity and the, the center of gravity has shifted from downtown to some of these residential areas where people are not commuting anymore, but they're still going out, they're still spending money, they're still doing this, that, and everything else. Um, and those centers are thriving, but it's coming at a cost to areas where the life's blood was office workers, commercial workers, commercial space, and we're relying on foot traffic from people that came in every day, at least from nine to five, to do certain things on certain hours. So why do you think it's necessary for the average Americans to understand this dynamic? I know we're supposed to talk about consumer debt, but I'm really intrigued by this conversation. But why should the average American think about this and be concerned? So, about the, so, so what it means is twofold. You are either in a position where your employer has thrown up their hands and said, you know what, just let everybody keep working from Rome. It is what it is. They're not going to come back. They don't want to come back. Um, and that's a good thing. Or they might try and be a little bit more strict than some of there's been a lot of push pull over the last year or so. Some employers have thrown up their hands, but others have said, you know what? No, you need to come in or we're going to fire you um, or you might not get promoted or we might cut your pay. Uh, some of the tech companies have done that and they tried that with some limited success um but you're you're still seeing a little bit of that tension between the employer and the work the employer that really does want people to come back on mass and the employees who decided you know what we started created new routines during covid i'm not gonna break it up i'm not gonna leave my kid i'm not or some people some had kids during covid and they're of a you know tender young age and they want to take more of a hand in raising them um, there are good reasons to stay home, but it has come at a cost to kind of office culture. There's a rise in people that feel like, especially new workers, that feel like they're not getting FaceTime with their bosses. They're not getting clear instructions. Um, there's a certain Zoom fatigue, people taking virtual meetings all day, every day. These are conversations that you could have at the office over a cup of coffee or a lunch or whatever. You can spontaneously have these discussions without it being some sort of a calendar invite. Um, and people, you know, people have to reckon with that. There has been a trade-off. So yeah, we can work from wherever we want, but it does come with a certain amount of fatigue. It means that we're not working traditional hours. We're probably working longer hours because there's an expectation that when something happens, even when it's off hours, because you are close to your laptop or your work, uh, what your tools that you need to work, you can be responsive and get on it right away. You don't have to drive in the middle of the night to the office. You can do it right there. And that's and that, you know, that demand is reasonable for if you're an employer, if you're letting people work from home and something should happen, it's not the base case, but like the expectation is you should be prepared to work when you need to work because this is a trade-off, me letting you work from home. And so what you're going to see is um a lot of more of that push-pull from employers and workers. And some of these employers are going to have to decide, you know what, we're going to close up office space because it's just no one's coming in and we don't, it's not worth it. Wow. Yeah, I think we I think, you know, we saw that there was a big article about the great resignation back in 2021, 2022, where a lot of workers left because they was like, man, you know, I was just as productive. Well, the YOLO, the YOLO economy. Everyone yeah. was like, no, you're once, right? Like, let's go get that, <laughs> let's go, you know, do that whole whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Yes, very interesting. Because uh, you were talking about in our in our last episode about how one thing affects the other, reminded me of the movie The Butterfly Effect. Yes, I didn't want to use yeah. that term I feel like it's overused, but like yeah, it, it absolutely is a butterfly. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's just for us, us common folk, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, both of you live in major cities. So what yeah. have you seen as it relates to, you know, the office buildings in your cities? Oh, yeah. I, I, go ahead. No, um, so I, you know, I live in New York City. Um, my company has office space that they've decided as a strategic uh, move. They don't need to keep open anymore, so they're going to find other things for those of us that used to come in to do it. Um, that doesn't mean I actually like going to the office. I'm weird because I actually like the structure of an office. I like being able to separate my home life from my work life. Um, I also am an anomaly because it's only a 20 minute commute from where I live to where our office space is. So, um, you know, I'm an atypical case, and I have very strong feelings that like some things, it's good to work remotely, but some things really do have to be done in an office. And that that is really part of the office culture. Um, and that regardless of how much we like enjoying remote work, um, that is something that cannot and should not change. But um, what I have also noticed is parts of New York City that used to be like bustling and vibrant. I Our office space was in Union Square. It's different. Like you used to see a lot of foot traffic all hours of the day. Um, lunchtime used to be like there were certain popular spots, like everything, especially in the summer, like Union Square was always packed. It's not um, Times Square. And that is also similar dynamic. And in these places where you saw a lot of people and now you do not, <clears throat> you're seeing a, you know, a rise in homelessness, a lot of like drug abuse. <clears throat> wow. A lot of these stores that are open do have, you know, they get robbed. They robbery has been a big thing since COVID until a lockdown ended. And that's um, you know, the whole debate about crime and what kind of crime and whether it's going up, whether it's going down. Um, you know, murders spiked and then they came down. Um, the data tells us, but you know, robberies have been on an upswing. And um, that has been a real problem for big businesses and small businesses. And if you are a business that's in this area and you're not seeing the foot traffic and you're, you know, seeing a rise in people that are stealing from you, the alternative is we're going to either locate somewhere else or we're going to shut down altogether. So those are, that also has an economic knock-on effect. That's major. That's major. Bo, what are you seeing in, yeah. in Dallas? Same. I mean, I was I actually, it was interesting you asked that question. Uh, just this past weekend, we had a, a a vision session at our in our office. I still have an office. I'm required to have an office because of the business I'm in. But I was looking at our uh, the uh, office list of companies that were there, and it was sparse. Um, mm -hmm. Very few companies there. And so what that led to, you know, obviously he had to kind of increase the rent a little bit on us. But at the same time, you didn't want to jack it up too much because we can <laughs> also leave. So uh, it's it's a problem every single place. Um, but it's just so I was just looking at it. It was very few companies. And it took a large office building um, with actually two towers. Uh, and between those two towers, I can probably count on maybe three hands how many companies I saw. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very, uh, very uh, interesting to see that. I was like, wow. Um, just right here. So big, yeah, big, and, big changes. And and something you just mentioned that I wanted to uh, also point out when people leave or businesses leave, 
the burden on those who stay yeah. because mm -hmm. even if you're taught if you're taught a business that is in an area that where like a bunch of other businesses have fled the landlord's more than likely going to raise the rent it's going to make mm -hmm. it cost because they're trying to make up for the revenue that they're losing um population centers like new york and california big states we saw a bunch of people leave during the pandemic most of them came here to florida uh but the ones that stay behind like it's gotten more expensive they just hiked the the the, the what it costs to get on the subway um you know there's probably if you run into business it's much more expensive there's a lot of red tape new york has always been a place where it was really tough to navigate like all of the requirements that the government placed on you in order to open a business or sustain a business, but it's gotten harder since COVID. And a, <clears throat> a lot of that is kind of like paperwork and administrative, but it's also like just the cost of running business. And a lot when, when people leave, there's a need to find the money to sustain the level of services. And what do people do? The first instinct, at least in New York, is like, okay, tax the rich. That was a big conversation that we had last year. Huh. Let's tax the, the wealthy. But the funny thing about capital or what we think of money, it's mobile. So if I'm sitting here and I feel like I'm going to get taxed into oblivion, I'll just take my money or I'll take my business and I'll move it elsewhere. As an average person with a small business, you probably don't have that option. But these big businesses, the, the wealthy people, the 1%, they can pack up and go anywhere. And then what? You know, you just said a, a word. And I was thinking as you were talking, I was thinking about capitalism. <laughs> you just talked about capital, how capital is mobile. And I just started thinking about how capitalism in our capitalistic culture, we stress individualism. That's basically mm -hmm. what we do. Mm -hmm. However, what we do individually affects the whole. And I don't think we consider that. Mm -hmm. How do we, is it possible to change that narrative? I don't think that individualism is a negative thing. And I think we mm -hmm. talk about it in a way that connotes that it's bad somehow for people to do what works for me. Like I, for now, it works for me to be in South Florida and Miami. Mm -hmm. um, and I like it here and like I can do my job here. This is an individual choice that I have made. Mm -hmm. um, but it is a choice that I've made willingly. And I think that when we talk about individualism and individual choices and how they influence economic choices, I think that the linchpin of that conversation has to be voluntary. Don't force me to do something I don't want to do. And if I am forced, I, you know, look, there's a lot of things that we can critique about capitalism, but there's one thing about the modern day workplace that is universal. If I don't like my job, I can quit. That's true. If my job isn't paying me enough, I can quit. I, if I can find a higher paying job, that's a whole other question. But like, nothing is tying me. There's nothing contract. And there are certain things where there you were contractual, but like, you know, you have to give the 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 etiquette for a workplace was like two weeks notice, right? But people mm -hmm. have been they don't do that all the. That's that's not the standard anymore. Some people leave and they give less than two weeks. They don't even give a day's notice. Um, and this is something that I've experienced. It's not ideal. You're not obligated to stay anywhere. So the idea is like you make individual choices, but make sure that A, your choices work for you and B, it's not a choice that is forced upon you. And whenever someone forces something you upon you, kind of like the barrel of a gun, that's where the negativity comes into play. Like, I don't want to be forced to do anything that does not work for me. And if I do it, the trade-off has to be worth it.
everything that we do and everything that we negotiate on a daily basis within our lives is some sort of a trade-off. Just make sure it's something that works for you and that you are doing willingly and voluntarily and that does not have a negative sort of knock-on effect for the people around you because that your choice will inevitably affect or be, a, you know, someone next to you will be affected by that choice. So make certain that it's something that works for you and the other people around you are okay with. They might not be. But again, that's a trade-off. You got to think about, like, this is something... Is it something that really, really impact, affects your life? Or is it just something that's a minor inconvenience? But we should get away from thinking about individualism in a negative way because individualism drives choice. And we are a society that is predicated on the ability to choose what we want for ourselves at any given time and think about and also should consider like the, the lives of the people around us now that would exactly. affect us. But not, this is not a compulsory society that we live in and to the extent that it is i think that's really negative so how do you balance because i believe that we're all individuals we shouldn't be put in typecast or put in a particular mold how do you balance embracing your individuality while also understanding the importance of inter interdependence while realizing that everything we do affects others it affects the economy and so forth and so on voluntary and and and, and having like-minded individuals or working with like-minded individuals where you all see a common goal. It's one thing to all agree on something to be of one accord. Mm -hmm. And even when you are every, you're not agree, you're not going to agree on every single thing. Nobody Correct. can. Correct. But when you try and enforce conformity, when you try and impose a rigid system on people, when you try and tell them that this is what you must do, in order to like <clears throat> fulfill whatever the mission is, that's when I think go, things go awry because people that breeds resentment. People might, might not want to acknowledge that, but that's when people start to say, I don't like doing this. I'm being forced to do it. And honestly, I don't appreciate that. And that is when you see a lot of these flare ups and people are like, well, you know, I'm going to quit my job or right, this or that. Like no one forces you to take the job and no one forces you to stay at a job if it's not in line with your principle. So I would encourage people to stop thinking about it as an issue of individualism and kind of find where people share your vision, where they are like-minded and recognize that everything is not going to go your way. There is a series of trade-offs and are those, make sure those trade-offs are worth it. And if they're not, then you, it's best in your best interest to find something else to do makes somewhere sense. else. That makes sense. Well, it looks like we're going to have to bring you back to talk about consumer debt because we <laughs> we got stuck, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We definitely gonna have to bring you back to talk about that. It's been a great conversation. Bo, you have anything? No, nah, man, this has been absolutely phenomenal. You know, like I said, love this topic. And uh, it's great to be able to hear people with uh, who are knowledgeable in this particular area, because uh, I think it's one of the the, the biggest areas that uh, especially certain demographics that need to to have a, a greater focus on everybody does but uh it's important uh, even more important for certain demographics so i'm glad we're bringing this to our audience so well, i guess that concludes our second episode of season two of the lifeline with your host bje and bo powell hey don't forget to check us out on www.simplybje.com forward slash the lifeline and on all social media platforms look we're on a mission we want to bring light and life into your household so join us 
and let us hear your feedback because it's all about bringing life to you on the lifeline. Y'all take care. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode with host business coach Bo Powell and leadership coach Barry J. Elliott. Join us next week for another impactful conversation on the lifeline.